and uh, we'll go from there. Now, we're going to go ahead and finish out our, our Broken Pieces series. We're in week five. Um, I've really enjoyed this series. It's been a series that has challenged me and has been an important part of my life um, and, and learning a lot and, and studying a lot. And I've been excited to share it with you. But we're going to be concluding it this week. And um, we're going to be concluding it with, with a message that is, is a very hard message for me to share Because this is one of those messages that, honestly, if no one was here this morning, I could preach to myself because I need this bad. This is one of those things that I struggle with continually. This is one of those things that I feel like is one of Satan's greatest tools and greatest weapons against us. And if you will open your heart this morning, I really truly believe that God wants to do some amazing things in the lives of people. But we're going to go ahead and finish out this, and we're going to start in Job. And we're going to, as we have been, we've kind of been going through Job and looking at his life, and that's been kind of our home base for this series. But really, I have a question for you before we get into Job and and the text that we're going to be using uh, this morning. I just have a question that for everybody to answer in their own minds. If I asked you this question, how would you answer? Who are you? Who are you? If I asked you and I gave you a piece of paper and said, I want you to write down who you are, what would you come up with? Where would you pull those ideas from? You see, I think one of the things that we have an issue with, and I know I have an issue with, is this idea of who I really am. And as we conclude this on Job, we're going to look at something very interesting that I think as we've looked at suffering and depression and, 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 and spiritual warfare and all these things, I think this is one of those things that if we can get and understand, it changes literally everything. So we're going to start in Job. Now, As we've talked about, Job was a righteous man. He was a blameless man. He was not sinless. In fact, we've seen things in his life as we've gone through this series where God was trying to help him get better in areas of pride and things like that. So so he wasn't perfect. He had a lot of issues. He dealt with bitterness and depression. And he he fought these things and pride and all these things. So so now we've known that. You know, a lot of times when we see Job, we kind of look at the first few chapters of Job. And then we kind of go to the end. That's kind of the flannel board story of Job, right? You know, he's perfect, or he's not perfect, he's, he's, he's blameless, and, and God is proud of him, and this is all great. And then Satan comes and says, well, if you take all this stuff away, he'll curse you to his, your, your face. And God says, okay, I'll allow it, go ahead. And so he curses his, his family and his body and everything, he loses it all. And then usually, like in the flannel board story, uh, Job gets it all back at the end, more than he ever had before. But as we've looked at this, there's been some things that we've learned about Job that have been hard. And difficult for him to deal with. But we're going to be in Job 1.8. We're just going to look at two scriptures this morning in our text. And this is what it says. In Job 1.8 it says this. Then the Lord asked Satan. This is at the beginning. Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. A man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Evil. Now look at Job 2.3. In Job 2.3, this is after uh, he's lost his family and he's lost all his possessions. And Satan comes back and says basically, well, yeah, if you, if you strike his body, he'll curse you. But this is what God says before that. He says, well, have you noticed my servant Job, the Lord asks. He's the finest man in all the earth, a good man who fears God and turns away from all evil. And he has kept his faith in me despite the fact that you persuaded me to let you harm him 
without any cause. This morning, we're already talking about as a concept I like to call the three mirrors. Let's pray. Father, we love you and I need you right now. Father, this is something that in my own life I've dealt with and fought. It's not something I've mastered, but it's something I'm trying to understand more and more about. And so, Father, as I express these things, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts through your Holy Spirit to communicate the things that you need communicated. Father, I pray that my words would cease and yours would start because your words change things and my, my words don't do anything. We love you and we need you. And I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Three mirrors are here in front of you this morning. I, I, I found these downstairs, and um, I think they were basically mirrors that you would use for place settings. And uh, so they're here, and, and we're going to be talking about this idea of identity and, and who we really are and helping us to understand. Because something we can see about this passage of Scripture that's very interesting is God says these things about Job knowing all of Job's faults. You see, yeah, he says at the beginning, he's blameless. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's great. He's this. He's that. And God knows he's dealing with with pride. God knows he's going to deal with depression. God knows he's got issues in his life that aren't perfect. And yet God makes a very clear statement about him. He says, have you noticed him? You know what this reminds me of? And I love this picture of God. It's like God is that proud papa. You know what I mean? He's that proud papa. He's sitting there with, you know, remember when people wore suspenders? I guess, you know, some people still do. And, 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 and do me a favor. If you wear suspenders, why do people wear belts and suspenders? Is that just double making sure? Because I've never quite understood that. Because Okay, moving on. Anyway, so, so I can see God, if God had suspenders. And he puts, his, he puts his thumbs in his suspenders and he goes, Have you noticed? You noticed my boy? You noticed my boy? You know, you know, I remember when I was a kid and I was playing baseball every once in a while, I'd do something good. And you could just see, you know, my dad kind of going, taught him everything he knows. You know, when I strike out, he's like, I don't know. He doesn't listen to me. But anyway, you know, that's, that's God. You know, the guy said, look at my servant, Job. He's man, he's great. He's blameless. He's doing a great job. Now, here's what's interesting. God knows all of his faults. Remember, the Bible says he's blameless. He doesn't say he's sinless. God knows every mistake he's ever made. God knows every mistake he's ever going to make. And yet God doesn't sit there and say this. Well, I guess there's Job. You know, he's all right. I guess I'll put up with him. I am love. I guess I have to love him. No, that's not what the scripture says. Scripture says that God in front of all of heaven, basically, says, that's my boy. I'm proud of him. Even though God knew about every fault and every problem and every sin that Job would ever commit, God still in our tests looks at Satan, looks with the angels in the court of heaven present and says, have you noticed how awesome he is? You see, there's three mirrors. And we need to understand each of these mirrors if we're going to be able to truly understand who we are. And if we look in the right mirror, everything will change. If we look in the wrong mirror, everything can get really, really messed up. The first mirror here is over here. Now, these are in your notes. The first mirror is an interesting mirror. The first mirror shows, all these mirrors obviously show a reflection. But this first mirror, when you look in it, what you see is nothing but a lie. It shows 
only lies. It shows absolutely no truth. And this is how Satan sees you. You see, we look in in John and Jesus here is talking in John 8, and it says this, John 8, 44. He was a murderer. He, speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is constant and consistent, excuse me, with his character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. This is how Satan sees you. And when you look at yourself in this reflection, when you see yourself in this, here's what you see, here's what you hear. You're a mistake. You're stupid. I can't believe you would do something so dumb and so stupid. You're worthless. God doesn't listen to you. God doesn't hear you. You pray and God doesn't love you or care about you. In fact, you'd be better off if you were dead. Nothing but a lie. But we look in that mirror. The second mirror, and the reflection in it, is this it is nothing but complete and total truth. This is how God sees you. This is how God sees you. Now, we've got to remember something as we looked in our text God knows every mistake you've ever made. God knows every mistake you will ever make. And yet when you look in this mirror and you see yourself in this mirror, this is the things you hear. You're valuable. I love you with an everlasting love. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be faithful even when you're not. You are mine. You are a child of the king. You are valuable to me. You are precious. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is the truth. In John, we see this. We're talking about the second mirror. John 14, 6. It says this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is truth. This is consistent with who the enemy is. And this is consistent with who God is. But when you look in this mirror, you get the truth. You understand who you are and who God's created you to be. Number three is tricky. Number three can be really, really tricky to navigate. Because really, honestly, when we look in this one, what we see is a trap. And in this reflection, we see how others see us. Now, this is interesting, okay? Because what this is, a lot of times, is a reflection of what one and two are. Okay? Because here's the thing. Others can bring truth. They can say truth. They can communicate truth. But they can also communicate lies and death. You see, what we need to understand about mirror three is this is allowing people to define who you really are. We are, we are really dealing with this in our culture today. You realize that? Think about this, okay? Um, maybe you are on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Let me tell you a quick story, okay? Uh, there was a girl, and uh, she was in the youth group back in Can- or Kansas City. That's where I grew up. Back in Albuquerque. And she was a great young lady, and, and uh, the family came to visit um, up here in Colorado maybe a couple months ago. And we were celebrating uh, her brother's birthday, and it was a lot of fun. And so we're at a restaurant, and so we're eating together. And Emily and her are talking, and she's talking, and, she, and Emily says, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? Because she's a teenager, so her phone is permanently glued to her hand, you know, that sort of thing. And so she's sitting there, and she says this. She goes, I'm seeing the best time to post something on Instagram so I get the most likes. Did you realize that? They actually have people that have studied the best time to place something on Instagram to get the most views and likes. And she was, I think she told me, and please, I don't know this for sure, so don't quote me on this. I think she's like Thursday at like four o'clock. So everybody goes home and they're like, oh, I'm going to wait and post something on Thursday at four o'clock. But here's what's funny about that. It was very, very important to her to get as many likes as she wanted. As she, as she, as she, she, that was very important to her. Listen, folks, this is a trap. When you begin to find your worth and who you are in what others say or what others don't say, that's a problem. We're going back to John. In John 12, 42 to 43, it says this. Many people did believe in him, speaking of Jesus. However, uh, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. These people believed that Jesus was who he says he he was. He was the son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the one that has come to save them and to do this. But they wouldn't admit it. Why? Why? Because they were too, it was too important to them how they looked in the third mirror. It was too important what people thought about them and how people saw them. They got their worth not from who God was telling them who they were, but by the people and how they saw them. And this is a trap. Because this, this here, when you do it and you try to find your worth here, it will never be enough. Because here's the secret. Here's this little horrible thing that no one wants to tell you when you're in first grade that you need to learn now if you haven't. And that's this. I'm sorry, I have to be the bad guy. But here's the thing. Not everyone will like you. There are going to be some people, and obviously they don't know what they're doing. But they're not going to like you very much. You're going to clash. You're going to have things that you don't, you know, you like this and they don't. I mean, that's going to happen and people aren't going to like you. And if you try to find who you are and your identity by what others say, it'll never be enough. And it'll always be a problem. I want to take this opportunity right now to look in scripture and see some examples of some individuals who had these issues as they were beginning to gaze in these mirrors. And so really point two is really some examples of that. Is we're going to look at that as they gaze into these mirrors, how that affected them. We're going to start with the story of Gideon. Gideon is an interesting story. Uh, to give you kind of a background idea of where Gideon is or where, where we are in the story, it's in Judges. And basically in this story, uh, the Midianites have been attacking Israel. Uh, Israel, the people have stopped following God. And so God has kind of removed that hedge of protection around them like he said he would. And so the Midianites are attacking them. They've been attacking them for about seven years. And basically what they would do is they would come in, they would take their food and they would take their livestock. And, and if they didn't think they couldn't, 
couldn't take, they basically destroy. And so this is not a good situation. These people obviously need this food to survive, and things aren't good. And so God decides it's time to to send a, a rescuer, a judge, basically, to help them. And that's where we find our scripture found in Judges, is basically, uh, this kind of where we pick up the story, is in Judges um, Basically, the uh, sixth chapter, and it'll be up there on your screen. So we're going to start with six and uh, start at verse 11 and go through 11 uh, through uh, 16. But we're going to break it down as we go. So here's where we're at. It's basically in verse 11. It says this. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joseph, the clan of Ebenezer. Gideon, son of Joseph, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Okay, so let's stop here and let's give you a visual of what's happening here, okay? Gideon is literally down inside of a wine press. If this will help you, think of an in-ground swimming pool, okay? So he's down there. This is a horrible place to be threshing wheat, because usually what they would do is they, a lot of times, to make it simple, they throw the wheat up in the air. The wheat would separate from the chaff. The wind would blow it away. So he's kind of underground. He's not in a good place to be doing this. Basically, if you don't know this, the man's hiding. He's scared. Why is he hiding? Why is he scared? Because the Midianites keep showing up and taking everything. So Gideon is sitting there, and he's hiding in the wine press. I always picture this story, and, and, and obviously the wine press probably isn't as deep as this, and we don't know how tall Gideon was, obviously. But I always see this, like, this little picture of Gideon's head just peeking up and looking around, and then goes back down, and he's threshing wheat. And his head picks up and looks around, and he goes, threshing wheat. And this angel of the Lord appears to him in verse number 12, and this is what he says. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero! The Lord is with you. Now would you stop and picture the scene that you have here. He's hiding. He's afraid. The Midianites are going to come take his food. What are we, oh, I'm going to hide down here. Oh, and the Lord shows up and calls him a, a mighty hero. And he's hiding. He's afraid. He doesn't know what's going to happen next because here's the deal. The Midianites are probably not just going to show up and take his food. They're going to kill him too. And God shows up and says, mighty hero, mighty, in other translations it says, mighty warrior. Let's continue in verse number 13. So, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Here's what's interesting to me on this. Okay, When we look in the wrong mirror, this is going to happen to us. Did you notice what Gideon did? Gideon blamed everybody else. God, you're not doing your job. Where's all the miracles? Where's all this stuff? It's interesting here. We don't see Gideon at any point say, I want to bring forth change. I want to help this area. He just blames everybody. Here's how I know a lot of times if you're looking in the wrong mirror, if everything else is everybody else's fault. You know, God, you, you said you'd do this and you didn't. God said you, you did this and you, you did. This person hurt me. This person did this. This person. Listen. That's a sign that you're looking in the wrong two mirrors. And Gideon does that. Gideon doesn't look and say, yeah, God, I'm a mighty warrior. Remember, that's what he just calls him. He's a mighty warrior. 
I mean, if God showed up today and looked you in the face and said, you're this, would you agree with him? Because Gideon doesn't. Gideon's too busy looking in mirror one and mirror three to understand what the truth is about him. That God himself is speaking to him about. And instead of looking at himself, he blames everybody else. He doesn't want to deal with the stuff that he needs to change in him. He wants to make sure that that everybody else realizes that they've done wrong. Instead of looking at himself and dealing with what God wants to him to see in him. Now let's look at chapter or verse number 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I love this because God doesn't even entertain it. God doesn't go, well, you know, I was busy or, or you, you, know, you guys haven't done the right thing. Or I've, God just doesn't deal with it. God just basically says, listen here, man. I'm not worried about those other things. I'm worried about you. And you're going to do this. You can do this with what I've given you. You can be this person. You can be this mighty hero. And you can do it. I am sending you in the strength that you have. You don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else. You need me. And then we move on to verse 15 and 16. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Let's stop there for a second. I want to ask you a simple, easy question that I bet most of you have never thought about. You've heard this story before, but you've never asked this question. And if you have, good for you. Who told him his clan was the weakest? How does he know his clan is the weakest? How does he know he's the least in his entire family? Now, you could say, well, maybe he knew that because, well, he, you know, he was the youngest or blah, blah, blah. We don't see that here. We, we, we see this concept of, of a man who says, I can't do that. Why is he so convinced of that? God didn't tell him he was the weakest. God said he was a mighty warrior. God said he was a mighty hero. Why? Because Gideon was looking at number three. And he's heard it. And people looked at him before and said, you know, your your clan's the weakest. You know, you're the least in your family. You ever heard stuff like that before? It's that third mirror. And then in verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. You see, Gideon's problem here in this exchange with God is Gideon was looking in the wrong mirrors. God so desperately here was trying to get him to stop looking in one and stop looking in three and to see him how God saw him. And how does God see him? Mighty warrior. You see, I truly believe in this place, in this moment, there are some Gideons that God wants to rise up. But you have been too busy looking at one and three to really understand who God's called you to be. Because there is a battle to be fought. There is something that needs to be done. And God doesn't look at him and say, listen here, man. Mighty warrior in a couple years. Mighty warrior if you'll do A, B, and C. He says, mighty warrior when the man was hiding in a wine press, afraid and convinced of what he saw in one and three. 
Let's look at another story. This one about Jesus. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we see some, an interesting story. <laughs> really fits with what we're going to be talking about in just a minute. Um, and, um, and, and kind of an interesting thing. Um, Jesus here is getting ready to um, go on his ministry um, in, in, in Matthew 4, uh, chapter 1. Or excuse me, verse 1, Jesus is getting ready to go out and um, be tempted by the devil. And this is a very important part of his, his journey, and, and he's getting ready to go. And so in, in verse number 1, it says this. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Now let's stop here and let's, let's remember who the enemy is. Okay, The enemy is... Brilliant. The enemy will usually attack when you're at your weakest point. He's smart. He's not dumb. He knows when to do this. And he knows that Jesus is not here on earth for a good reason. He knows that he was able to get another son of man named Adam and Eve to fall. And so now this is his chance. This is his moment. Listen, if he can get Jesus to turn, if he can get Jesus to mess up, if he can have Jesus sin, then God's plans are destroyed. And one of the things that Satan loves most of all is to destroy God's plans. So here it is. He's tired. He's weak. 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. He's tired. He's wore out. And Satan shows up. This is his chance. This is his moment. He's going to give him everything he's got. Satan's not going to play nice. And we continue in verse number three. During that time, the devil, the devil came to him and said to him, now check this out. You need to check it. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Now listen, I've heard this talked on and spoken on a lot. And we always, oh, well, he's appealing to his hunger. He's, he's hungry, so obviously he's going to... I don't know if that's what Satan's doing here. And I, I'll say that because he continues to move in this line of questioning. But I want you to check out these seven words, if I counted correctly. If you are the Son of God. What's Satan doing with his best shot? He's, question, he's making, trying to get Jesus to question who he is. He's trying to get Jesus to look in number one. He's trying to get Jesus to look in number three. Because if he can do that, number two becomes somewhat irrelevant. If you are... Isn't that amazing that Satan really hasn't changed his tricks? You know, if God really loved you, then God would do this. If God really cared for you, then he would heal this. Satan loves to attack who we are. And he does it with Jesus. If you really are, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I need you to do me a favor here. Hold on to that. Okay, we're going to move on, but I want you to hear that. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Got it? Okay, hold on to that. Now let's continue. 
Look at verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, guess what he says? The same seven words. If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands until you won't even hurt one foot on your stone. Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. Once again, we say Satan again, if you are, if you are the son of God, then do this. If you're really who you say you are. What's interesting too is on the crucif- during the crucifixion scene, what do we see? We see some of the Pharisees looking at Jesus on the cross and basically saying this, if you are really the son of God, come down and then we will believe. Folks, hear what the spirit of God is trying to get us to understand. God is very clear that we have been looking sometimes in the wrong mirror and this is a way the enemy attacks. Let's continue with verse number eight. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. So in this last temptation, we see this idea of Satan taking Jesus. Saying, Listen, I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know what's interesting even about this? Is because Jesus was able to see himself through mirror two. He didn't have to worry about all the stuff. Because if you look at the end of Matthew, what do we see? We see Jesus getting it all the way, getting it anyway. How does he know that that's not something that's going to tempt him? How does he, how can he so ease? I mean, think about that, guys. Come on. Satan shows up today in your house and says, listen, man, I'll give you whatever. I'll give it all to you. Okay. Remember, remember when there was a show on TV with, with uh, what was his name? Robert Leach or something, maybe like that. It was, it was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. No, was that, what was his name? Robin Leach. Yeah. And he, you know, oh, we're going to the mansions and all this stuff, the cars. and all. I mean, why was that even a show on television? Because we watched it and went, oh, wow. When I was a kid, we watched it during, you know, not, not thankfully, well, that, that sounded meaner than I meant it, but, you know, the reruns. We watched the Beverly Hillbillies. Remember that show? Remember that? What was that show so cool? Because here are these farmers who had nothing went to be millionaires. Texas gold. What if Satan showed up today and offered you it all? I'll tell you what. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're super spiritual and you're good. and That would be hard for me. Never have to work another day in my life. Have everything handed to me. Be the king of the world. Come on. And he brings it. Why is, why is Jesus so easily able to dismiss that? Because he knew who he was. And he knew that that was not Satan's to give anyway. And he knew that one day it, it already belongs to him. And so the devil went away. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. Now remember back in verse number, I think, one or two. We, we talked about something to hold on to. Hold, I want you to keep that in your mind, but I want to move on because something happens right before this that I think is important that we catch. Right before this, right before Jesus goes out to be tempted, Jesus, fittingly, is getting baptized. 
John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. So we're going to go right before Matthew 4. We're going to look at Matthew 3. And this is what it says. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and came to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Why? Here's the thing. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he dealt with all the temptations and all the hurts and all the things that we deal with, and he was able to do without sin. Why? How? He gets ready to go. He's on this 40-day fast. If any of you have ever been on a 40-day fast, and not, one of, not a 40-day where you're, you're having a meal or whatever, but I mean a 40-day, no food, no water, it will wreck you. And Jesus has just accomplished this feat. He is tired. He is wore out. And Satan comes and says, look in here, look in there. Don't look in here. How is Jesus able to look here? Because he had the words of his father that told him who he was. Look, here's the deal. I wish with everything in me that I, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I probably would have tried to do this and made a whole big mess, but, you know, kids would have thought it was great and, and, and you know, whatever. But I wish I could have gone and I got, went home and picked up my baseball bat and, and basically, you know, to kind of conclude the, the, the message and the whole series is take my bat and go, oh, you shouldn't listen to this. And you go over the three and you and the shattered piece all over. You know. The problem is, is that's not really how it works. You see, I don't know about you, but I've never been able to destroy mirror one and mirror three. As much as I wish I could. As much as I would love to believe that that, that what you say or what others say or what my family says or what pastors have said to me as I've been growing up or even now, I wish I could say, oh, those things didn't matter. But they do. As much as I would love to believe that sometimes I wake up in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror and all I hear is, you're a failure. All I hear is, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You can't lead a church. What are you trying to do? Go work at Amazon. That'll be easy. You can do that. I haven't figured out a way to destroy these mirrors. And I think the reason why is because God doesn't want them destroyed. You see, if all we had was mirror two to look at, things would be a lot easier. We wouldn't need God. Because here's what we have to do every day. We have to make the choice to look at mirror two. Every day. Sometimes multiple times a day, we need to remember to look at ourselves in this mirror. And here's sometimes what's even harder. We have to believe what this mirror says. You see, here's the crazy thing. I know what this mirror says. I know what scripture says. But sometimes, I won't believe it. And what God wants us to truly understand is although there is a mirror one and there's a mirror number three, this is the truth. 
This is what we need to hold on to. And yes, there will be times and there will be moments where we look in this mirror. And when we do, we need to realize it and go, no, these are lies from the enemy. And we look at number three and go, look, look, no, no matter if somebody says I did a good job or a poor job, that's not what's important. I'm not here for the praise of man. I'm here that God is proud of me. I got to see what's in mirror two. What Job understood and what he began to understand through the entire book, and it took a long, long time to get it, was this understanding that what his friends said, and what Satan said were lies and they weren't the truth and what God had to say about him was the truth and what God had to say about him was he is my son, I am proud of him he's my, have you noticed my servant, Job I want to say something that I hope blows your noggin off because I believe it with all my heart even though sometimes it's really hard for me to believe it about myself I believe God in heaven, in all of his glory. We know that Jesus is seated at his right hand. The angels are around him. Holy, holy, holy. And in that moment, God looks to his son. And he says, hey, Jesus, have you noticed my son, Alan? Have you noticed my daughter, Wendy? I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them. How can God say that about us? Because Jesus came and he died and gave himself as a ransom for many so that now we become righteous in the eyes of God. You say, but Aaron, I've messed up. Yeah, God knows. But God chooses to see you through this mirror, and this is the truth. And folks, if we can get our lives to make sure that we're focused here, if we can see us how God sees us, everything changes. When God says, I need you to do this, I'm calling you to do this, we don't listen to the mirror that says, you can't do that. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. We don't listen to the praise of man. Well, you know, that wasn't as good as, as when I've done it. No, no. We listen to what God says. And God says, I'm sending you. I will take care of it. I will give you grace along the way. But you go because I am with you. When we doubt who we are, we stop and we look in the right mirror. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to close. But I want to pray with you, talk to you real quickly. And it's a real simple question, folks. What mirror are you looking in? Because here's the thing. Whether you know it or not, you're looking in one of the three. You're looking in one of the three. How did things begin? When everything was good. When everything was right, Adam and Eve were able to look and see themselves through this mirror. Immediately after sin enters the scene, what do Adam and Eve do? They run, they hide, they clothe themselves because they're naked. Because instead of seeing themselves in this mirror, they saw themselves in this one. This has been one of the battles that we have literally faced as human beings from the very beginning. 
I don't care if you got saved yesterday. I don't care if you're not saved now. I don't care if you saved, you know, Moses prayed for you. I have never in my life met a somebody that was honest that could look at me in the face and say, I always look in mirror too. Never one. So listen, you can, you can miss this moment and say, oh, well, you know, I just... Or you can allow God to do something. Because here's the deal, guys. It's your choice. You get to choose which mirror you gaze in. And if you look in three, it'll destroy you. You'll, you'll, you'll run from a person to a personality to... You'll, you'll look for this in your husband or your wife or your kids. My, my son plays soccer. And you watch sometimes those dads or even those moms. And it's, they're living vicariously through their son or daughter and how good they are at playing soccer. It'll destroy you. Some people have bought into this lie that they're worthless and they don't matter and that God doesn't love them and God doesn't hear them and God doesn't care. And it'll ruin everything. We got to, as individuals and a people, gaze in this mirror. And not just gaze in it, but believe what it says. So let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And God, with every head bowed, every eye closed, Father, we come knowing if we're honest with ourselves that we deal with this concept of who we really are. I know that in my own life, it's a struggle and it's a fight every single day. Sometimes I look in mirror one and I believe the lies that come from the father of lies. Sometimes I look in three and, and, and I'll say, oh, well, you know, somebody came up to me and said I did a good job or, or somebody left the church or somebody. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll literally implode from the inside out. Because I care so much of what my reflection is to people. But Father, the only truth is in mirror two. The only truth is to not just gaze in it and hear the words that you tell us, but to truly believe them. And not just believe them and do nothing, but believe them and, be, excuse me, and begin to act out in those areas. I believe that I'm chosen of God. I believe that God is going to go with me. So I am going to do the thing that God has asked me to do that seems impossible. I'm not going to allow the lies of the enemy to keep me from reaching out to my family or my friends or my co-workers. I'm going to get involved and be a part of what God is wanting to do in this church and in this community. Not because I think I have all the answers. Not because I'm the greatest. But because God has told me I'm his and he's with me and he walks with me and he talks with me and he's going to go with me. And he's, I, I can trust him. So this morning, again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a couple questions. Number one, some of you don't, didn't know there were three mirrors because you don't really know who God is. 
You've heard about him. Maybe you've seen really, really good representations of Jesus. Maybe you've seen really, really bad representations of Jesus. But listen here, hear me. Those are, ref- those are reflections of Jesus, not him. Whether good or bad. And our Jesus is perfect. And he loves you with an everlasting love. He knows your mistakes. He knows the things you've done. He knows the things you will do. And he wants to, even with that, extend his hand to you and say, you know what? I love you. Come home. I love you. Come home. I know that people have done things to you. I know there are hurts there. But I want you to come and I want you to see yourself through the mirror that I place in front of you, which says, I love you. There is a purpose. There is something in you that I want to bring forth and change everything if you'll just come to me. For others, we've been looking too much in mirror two, or excuse me, mirror one and mirror three. And it's time to once again put our focus where it belongs. And know who we are. Know who we are because we have forgotten who we are. There's so many movies. There's so many stories. There's so many tales and legends. And what are they? A lot of them focus around. They focus around this concept of the hero or the heroist, whoever it might be. They don't know who they are. And when they realize who they are, They step into that fulfillment, into that destiny, and everything changes. Folks, there are people in this room who need to understand who they are so they can walk in the fullness of the destiny that God has for them. But if you look in one and you look in three, you will never accomplish what God has for you to accomplish. And it's your choice to look and to gaze and to be moved and believe and to have action by what is in mirror two. But whether you believe it or not, know this, it's the truth. You don't have to believe in gravity to to have its effects and to know it's real. You don't have to believe what you see in mirror two, but it is the truth. And it's time for us as individuals and family to grasp that truth. So I'm going to pray with you. And the worship team is going to come and lead us in a song. And we're going to have a baptismal time together. Which is so fitting and so perfect the way God orchestrates things. But if this morning you would say, Aaron, I don't know Jesus and I need to. If you would say this morning is my day to stop looking in mirror one and mirror three, it's real easy. It's real easy. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you acknowledge the fact that you've messed up, if you realize the fact that you need Jesus and his forgiveness and his healing and his help, and you will communicate that to God, everything changes. Behold all those things that were behind you in the sin. It is wiped away. It's clean. And behold, all things are new. For some of you, it's a time to focus on the right mirror. Whichever it is, I want you to begin right now to call out to God. Use your mouth, folks. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and don't say anything. No, it's a verbal thing. We need to talk out. 
And so right now, I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to ask you to be that courageous warrior that you really are, whether you believe it or not, that God is trying to get you to see in mirror two. And I'm going to ask you to begin to pray out just where you can hear it and say, God, I need you. God, I have focused on the wrong mirror for too long. Father, right now, I accept you and I accept your son. I need you to come and cleanse me and make me brand new. I accept your love and your forgiveness right now. Father, for those that are dealing with the mirrors, Father, I pray that we would focus on you and focus on the mirror that you've placed in front of us so that we would focus on two to know who we really are in you. Help us, God. We love you. We thank you.